Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Very happy to have not just our visitors back, but we're also happy to have Brother Stewart that's going to come at this time and minister what the Lord has laid on his heart. Now it's a joy to be with you again at Claremont. It's always a pleasure to come back and see you again here. We never ever had a problem getting the children to come to Claremont meeting when we were here on holiday. It was infamously known as the meeting with the donuts. And any meeting that's got donuts, it's never a problem to get the kids to come. But it's delightful to be with you again and we do trust our time around the Word of God will be an encouragement to us. I just want to read four verses uh, from the book of Isaiah, the first of them please in chapter 42. These are well-known passages regarding the Lord Jesus as the servant of Jehovah and I want just to share with you some truth concerning him as that perfect servant. Just one verse from each of the servant songs, chapter 42 and verse 1, it is God who is speaking, behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Chapter 49 is the second of these servant songs. And we are breaking in in verse number two, not now the voice of God, but the voice of the Lord Jesus. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft in his quiver, hath he hid me. The next chapter, please, chapter 50. And again, the Lord Jesus is the speaker in verse number 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And perhaps the most well-known of the servant songs, chapter 53. And verse number 2, the prophet speaking about the Lord Jesus as he was here as a man on earth. For he shall grow up before him, that is before God, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And I'm sure the Lord will bless to us the reading of his good word this morning. When you come to look at the role that Israel had as far as the purpose of God was concerned, there were three offices that God conferred upon the nation of Israel to make it even more special than it was. You remember in Exodus chapter number four, God speaks about Israel in this way. He says, Israel, my firstborn, Israel, my son. So in a very peculiar sense, the nation of Israel was looked upon as the son of Jehovah. Then you remember, and there's various passages in Jeremiah as well speak about this, but in Isaiah chapter number five, the nation of Israel is spoken of about as the vine of Jehovah, the vine of Jehovah. And that was an office, that was a role that God conferred upon Israel. And then you remember too that in chapter number 41 of the book of Isaiah and verse number 8, God says about Israel this, he says, Israel, my servant, my servant. So 
Think about the nation of Israel this morning and think about these three offices that God conferred upon them. God speaks about them as his son. He speaks about them as his vine. He speaks about them as his servant. But as you begin to read the Old Testament, you come to find very, very quickly that the nation failed in relation to being the son of Jehovah. And the nation failed in relation to being the vine of Jehovah. And the nation failed in relation to being the servant of Jehovah. When God designated the nation the son of Jehovah, what God had in mind was fellowship. Fellowship. The intimacy, the nearness between a father and a son. And what God looked for from Israel was that fellowship, that intimate fellowship that he did not get from other nations. He desired that he would find that in the nation of Israel. When God designated Israel a vine, he was not looking for fellowship. He was looking for fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. He was looking for something back from Israel, for all the love that he conferred upon them, for all the position and status that he gave them. God was looking for something back again. He was looking for fruit for his own pleasure. And when God designated the nation a servant, he was not looking for fellowship and he was not looking for fruitfulness, but he was looking for faithfulness. He was looking for a people that would be true to him. He was looking for a people that would be true to his words, that would carry out his bidding. But as you read the Old Testament, it becomes so plain and so clear that Israel failed in relation to that fellowship. And Israel failed in relation to that fruitfulness. You remember Isaiah chapter number 5, speaking about Isaiah as a vine, the prophet says unto them, you have brought forth grapes that are corrupt. Nothing for the pleasure of God in the life of Israel as a nation. And the nation of Israel failed in relation to the role of servant. Now, you and I speak, you and I sit here today in Claremont, and the question has to be asked Was God's purposes ruined in relation to this? Was God's purposes thwarted in relation to what his plan for Israel was? Has God lost that fellowship? Has he lost that fruitfulness? Has he lost that faithfulness? Praise God, today we have come to remember the Lord Jesus. And where Israel failed, he never failed. And where Israel failed as a son, we have remembered one this morning, and he's God's eternal son. And you remember at the banks of the Jordan, when he came up out of the waters of baptism, you remember that there was a divided sky. The heavens were broken. And you remember there was a divine statement. This is my son, the beloved. And there was a descending spirit and the Spirit of God came down and abode upon him. You see, the picture is simply this. What God is really saying at the banks of the Jordan, at the baptism of the Lord Jesus, what God is saying is this. Listen, take a good look at this man. Because everything that was lost in Israel as a son has been regained and more in the person of the Lord Jesus. And God takes absolute pleasure and delight in pointing him out to us at the banks of the Jordan, this is my son, the beloved, in whom 
I am well pleased, or in whom I am finding all my delight. Isn't that a remarkable thing, that when you and I come to think about the life of the Lord Jesus, and you think about the books that have been written, and you think about the teaching that has been given about the life of the Lord Jesus, and yet really what we have to work with is a period of time, about three and a half years. And you think of the volumes that have been written, and you think of the words that have been spoken, three and a half years. And in those three and a half years, there was a man here who moved in fellowship with God like no other had ever done. A nearness and an intimacy with God that was precious to the heart of God and precious to the heart of Christ as well. I wonder about the previous 30 years. Those years that we speak of as the years of obscurity. We only have a glimpse of him as a boy of 12 in the temple. Eh, asking and answering questions. And apart from that, we, are, we have hidden from our view what he was like as a child. What he was like growing into manhood. What he was like in teenage years. It's hidden from our view. But lest you and I should think that there is anything in those 30 years of obscurity that was out of keeping with the mind and will of God for him. When it came time for God to bring him forth into public service at his baptism, God stamps him with divine approval. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am finding all my delight. And what was lost in Israel as a son was regained in the person of the Lord Jesus. What was lost in Israel as a vine was regained in the Lord Jesus. You remember John chapter number 15, and this is, the, this is the force of the expression in John chapter number 15. He turns to his own disciples in the intimacy of the upper room, or maybe they have just left it, in fact, at the end of chapter 14, and he turns to them and he says, I am the vine, the true one, the true one. And he sets himself in contrast to the nation of Israel, where Israel failed in relation to its fruitfulness. Christ has been brought in. And who will be able to quantify the fullness of the blessing of the harvest that Christ will bring in? And we're sitting here this morning, and we are just but a representative sample of the harvest of Christ. There is coming a day when he will gather in all the redeemed. There is coming a day when we'll, we'll all be brought into his presence. And in the language of chapter 53 of Isaiah, when he shall see of the travel of his soul, he shall be satisfied. Think of that today. When he sees you and he sees me, his soul will be satisfied with the depths and the magnitude of the work of Calvary. And what Israel failed in, in fruitfulness, Christ has brought in much more beside and delighted the heart of God. But where Israel failed as a servant, we have read this morning about another servant that God has, and he's the perfect servant. He is the perfect servant of Jehovah. And when you come to these verses in chapter number 42 of the book of Isaiah, God is introducing to us his own special servant. And while Israel failed in relation to their faithfulness, God is going to bring before us a servant now that will be completely unique and different and will never fail in relation to his faithfulness 
to the things of God. I just want you to notice the contrast with what comes before in chapter number 41. Notice, notice verse number 8. But thou, Israel, art my servant. So there's Israel pictured in its servant character. Now, notice verse number 24. As he speaks about the nation. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work is of nothing. An abomination is he that chooseth you. Notice verse 27. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. Is good tidings going to come to Jerusalem? Well, notice the very next verse, verse 28. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and there was no counsellor that when I asked of them could answer a word. And he sums it all up in relation to the service of the nation. In verse number 29, Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. In other words, says God, if you are looking for something special in the service of Israel, you're going to wait a long time. It's only failure that marks the nation. And this recurrence of the word, behold, 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 is to view the failure of the nation. Ah, but when you come to chapter 42 and verse number 1, God says again, I want you to behold another servant. I want you to behold my servant, my servant. I want you to take a good look at him. Time is never wasted time, fellow believer, in looking at the person of the Lord Jesus. Time is never wasted time just to absorb our hearts and our minds and our souls with him. It is good for us to meditate upon the person of the Lord Jesus. And I often feel that when you come to Matthew's Gospel, the opening book of our New Testament, it's as if God is wanting to enforce upon us that whatever we learn and whatever we read in those New Testament pages, it seems in Matthew's Gospel that there is underlined for us the absolute vital necessity of beholding the Lord Jesus. It's not just a casual glance. Just, it's not just a look when we have a minute or two. God wants us to behold him. Take him in. Let him fill the mind. Let him fill the heart. Let him fill the soul. And when you come to Matthew's gospel, you remember in chapter number one, Behold, a virgin shall come forth and conceive a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God says right at the outset of Matthew's gospel, get your hearts and minds filled with that. A child born of a virgin whose name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. Then you come to chapter 13 of the gospel of Matthew, and we are introduced to the chapter in these words, Behold, a sore went forth to sow. Not only behold a saviour, God with us, but behold a sower went forth to sow and view the Lord Jesus in his servant character as he sows the seed of the kingdom in that life that he lived. Then you remember too, when you come to chapter number uh, 25, behold the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Behold the saviour and behold the sower and behold the bridegroom. Time is never wasted in spending time looking at the person of the Lord Jesus. And says, God, in chapter number 42, behold my servant. What I want to do just for a moment is just to highlight with you 
Though you know these things and know them well, I just want to highlight one of the themes in these four servant songs, and there are many themes, but I want to highlight for you this theme of the dependence of the servant. The dependence of the servant. We are living in a day when um, we are instructed and we are encouraged to be independent. We are encouraged to be free thinkers. We are encouraged to be our own men and our own women. We are encouraged to do it our own way. And sadly, when you come to Revelation chapter 3, there was a church called Laodicea, and they tried that. They tried to do it their own way, and the Lord Jesus judged them for that. The Lord had to say to them in some very, very definite tones on that occasion, ye are rich and increase with goods. Or they said, and we have need of nothing. And the Lord says, ye are poor, ye are blind, ye are miserable, and ye are naked. There was nothing about them for the pleasure of God. But when you come to the servant of these servant songs, the perfect servant, the Lord Jesus in his life, there is this theme of dependence, the dependence of the servant upon his God, and it is the secret of his service and of his success. When you come to chapter 42 and verse number 1, he is dependent upon God for his support. Notice the second expression in the verse, Behold my servant whom I uphold. <coughs> he is dependent for his support. Then when you come to chapter 49 and verse 2, we have these two characteristics of the service of God. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, and he hath made me a polished shaft. Did you catch that? The servant is not saying that he has made his mouth like a sharp sword. And he's not saying that he has made himself like a polished Arrow, no, he's saying that God has made his mouth like a sharp sword. God has made him like a polished arrow. It is not now dependent for his support, but it's dependent for his service. And then chapter number 50, where we read together in verse number 4, he is dependent for his speech. The Lord thou God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And the Lord Jesus, though God in all his fullness and in all his majesty, as he moved here as the servant of Jehovah, he was absolutely dependent upon his God. Dependent for his support. Dependent for his service. Dependent for his speech. And then we read those lovely words in chapter number 53 regarding the growth and the development of the Lord Jesus when he was here amongst men and says the word of God about him, he shall grow up before God as a tender plant. And I'm going to suggest again, we'll come to it in a moment, he's dependent on God for his sustenance as we see him moving as a man amongst men. Now just a moment or two in each one of these. Says the word of God in chapter 42, Behold my servant uh, whom I uphold. And every clause of this verse is a, are clauses that should absorb our minds as we think about the service of the Lord Jesus. And that was why when Billy asked me, would I have a passage that would be fitting to read before we dealt with these things that our brother Jack has so ably read to us this morning, chapter number six of the book of Isaiah is the calling and preparation of Isaiah for service. I know that lovely verse in verse eight. We often apply it to the Lord Jesus. Uh, who shall go for us? 
Here am I, send me. And we love to think about that typically in relation to the Lord Jesus. But of course, you know that it's nothing to do with the Lord Jesus. It's got to do with Isaiah. It's got to do with his calling and his preparation. And in the scene of failure in the nation, God raises up Isaiah. He cleanses him and he calls him. He consecrates him. And he fits him for the role of the servant. And as Isaiah begins to write this book of his about his service for God, how fitting is it that God brings before him the ministry of the perfect servant. And so as Isaiah is serving, he's writing about another servant who was a different type of servant altogether, even the Lord Jesus. And one of the features of that servant in chapter number 42 is he is dependent upon God for his support. I wonder if I'm speaking to some of, you, some of you here today, and I would suppose there would hardly be a Christian that would not have felt like this in, an area, in any area of their life, in any part of their life, ever had a moment or a time in your life when you just wondered how you were going to get through another day, where you just felt the pressures of life had risen, when you felt the challenges of life were just too great, and you just felt like the whole thing was caving in. And you felt like you couldn't go on. But as you get through that time of crisis and you look back, you can quote the words of Samuel. In your experience, hitherto hath the Lord blessed us. And what one of us would have made it five minutes on the Christian pathway? What one of us would have made it a week on the pathway of God and his service? if it were not for the faithfulness of God to we his people in supporting us on the journey of life. Are we prepared to see this morning that in the humanity of the Lord Jesus, in his servant character, there was that upholding hand of God with him as he moved in his service for God? I don't want to read too much into it, but I'm just going to suggest that the three occasions in the life of the Lord Jesus that we read when God's voice was heard were three such occasions when God was just bringing that needed encouragement to his blessed servant. At the baptism, about to move out in public service, when he would know the hatred and the attack of men, and he would know in a very real sense the attack of the evil one upon him. How does God encourage him? Thou art my son, the beloved, in whom I am finding all my delight. And the Lord Jesus goes out into public service with the support of the words of God ringing in his ear. What about the Mount of Transfiguration? And you remember, there was Moses and there was Elijah, but then there was the Lord Jesus, supreme in every aspect of his being. And you remember on that mount, the voice of God was heard. This is my son, the beloved. Hear ye him. And as the very shadow of Calvary was being cast across his pathway, the encouragement of the words of God ringing in his ear and filling his heart as he moves onwards to fulfill the purpose of the cross. And then you remember in John chapter 10, as the Lord Jesus pictures himself as the corn of wheat about to fall into the ground and die, and all that will be involved in the suffering of that, you remember what he cries on that occasion. He cries this, Father, glorify thy name. 
And John records, there was a voice from heaven that was heard. I have glorified it. Could I suggest that was in his life? And I will glorify it again. Can I suggest that would be Calvary? And the encouragement that God had for his blessed servant was this. You're asking me to glorify my name. Well, let me tell you, I have glorified it in the life that you have lived. And I will glorify it in the death you're about to die. And in these three occasions, the voice of God is heard just to bring that encouragement, that support to the heart of Christ as he moves on in the service of God. And I say to you today respectfully, dear brother, dear sister, if the support of God was enough and sufficient to sustain Christ on the pathway of service, then it should be more than enough to sustain you and I. You and I need to know what it is to move in absolute dependence upon him that we might know that supporting power every day that we live. Dependent on his support, dependent on his service. I just touched this in chapter 49. Says the Lord Jesus, he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. And then he says, he has made me like a polished arrow. What two very descriptive figures of the service of God. The sharp sword. You see, when we think about the words of Christ, we think about Luke 4. They wondered at the gracious words which proceeded from out of his mouth. And we think about the loving words that he spoke. And my, he did. He did. As we'll see from chapter 50 in a second. But is there an aspect to the service of Christ when his word was like a sword? Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is sharp and powerful like the two-edged sword. And there were occasions in his life when he spoke incisively and he spoke dynamically just to cut through the veneer and just to expose the very hearts of men. Isn't it refreshing, dear brother, dear sister, just to read through the Gospels and just to read about what he spoke? And then you compare it to the political leaders of our day and you think of the deception and you think of the lies and you think of the corruption. When Christ spoke, it was like a sword. It just cut through everything, got right to the heart. And then he was like an arrow, a polished arrow. Have you noticed, and did you have, I'm sure, that when God is picturing his own unique son, he will only use terms that speak of the very best. So when you're in Leviticus 2, and you're thinking about the flour for the meal offering, you remember it says it's to be fine flour. And when you're in the tabernacle and you're thinking of the gold, it has to be pure gold. And when you're thinking about the linen that was to be the material of the clothing of the priest, typically of the Lord Jesus, it's to be fine linen. It's to be burnished brass. And God is ensuring that we understand that when we speak about the Lord Jesus, we do well to use the very best of our language to describe him. God did that. And when he says that his service is like the arrow, no, 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 it's like the polished arrow. You see, it's the very best that it can be. And nothing was going to deviate that arrow from its path. Nothing was on that arrow that would alter its course. He set his face steadfastly to go towards Jerusalem, knowing all the things that would befall him there. 
Oh, how I wish that in my service, I wonder, do you wish the same, that we could have something of the sharp sword about our speech and the polished arrow about our aim and purpose in life, just to be more like the blessed servant of Jehovah, the Lord Jesus. And then chapter 50, he is dependent uh, on him for his speech. I think those words are beautiful words that we read this morning in chapter number 50. And how it pictures for us so beautifully the dependence of the Lord Jesus as the servant. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And you think of those moments, you think about Mark chapter 1. And you remember that he rose up a great while before day and he departed into the Mount of Olives and he was alone with God in prayer. And you remember that at the end of the day when they brought unto him the halt and the maimed and the blind and he healed them all and when all men went to their own home, where did he go? He went to the Mount of Olives that he might just spend time with God alone. John chapter number 8, he appears in the temple And he deals with the situation with the woman, you remember. But if you read the end of chapter number 7, it tells you that he had spent all night in prayer. What was he doing? Can I use the language of Isaiah 50? Morning by morning, he opens mine ear. He opens mine ear to hear as the instructed one. And when that ear was opened... And that ear was filled with the very words of God themselves. He could say, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And when he moved as the servant in the midst of men, he spoke words of power, spoke words of compassion, spoke words of conviction. To the woman, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. To the man sick of the palsy, he said, rise up and walk. And to those that were afflicted, And to those that were downtrodden, there came this ministry of Christ as the instructed servant of Jehovah just to meet them on the pathway of life. And you've met him on the pathway of life, haven't you? You have. There's been those moments in your life when you just needed a word from him. And through his word he spoke. And those words came just like a a refreshment to your soul and helped you on in life's journey. But then chapter number 53, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. But when you check this word um, that's used here in Isaiah 53, it's a very interesting word that's used, the tender plant. I used to have in my mind that this was some flimsy little plant that had just been planted in the soil, but that's not the picture that's there. The word for tender plant is really only one word in the original, and it's the word for the sucker, the sucker. Now, I'm not one for growing plants, as you would know from my garden, if you could see it, but I understand this, that if you are one that grows plants and a sucker attaches itself to the stem of the plant, that's not a good thing, because what the sucker does, it draws the sustenance away from the plant to feed itself. That's in the bad sense. Quite literally, what we are told about the Lord Jesus in chapter 53 is this. He shall grow up before him as a sucking plant, a sucking stem. There's nothing bad about that. What it's teaching us is this. 
How did the Lord sustain himself when he was here as a man amongst men? He did not draw from the resources of if because he was like a root out of a dry ground. There was nothing in this world that could sustain him and empower him day by day. Where did he gain his strength from? He shall grow up before him as a sucking plant. And when he was here, I say reverently, he drew on the resources of heaven just to sustain himself as he moved as the servant of Jehovah. And dear fellow believer today, what was true of the Lord Jesus can be true of us. The support that he received, the service that he knew, the speech that he obtained, the sustenance that he drew from is all open to you and I. But we need to move with dependence. We need to realize our own weakness. We need to realize our own inabilities. And we need just to lean heavily upon him. And may it be that in our lives, there will just be that little bit of fruit and that little bit of pleasure for the heart of God as we have moved in dependence in divine service for him. May the Lord bless his word. Our Father, in the worthy and precious name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus, we continue before thee. We thank thee for our time of fellowship this morning. We thank thee for the privilege of remembering the Lord Jesus, calling him to mind and presenting him back to thee. We thank thee too, our God, for the fellowship of saints. And we commit to thee again today the testimony here at Clermont and the believers who meet to thy name here and ask of thee that in the days that would lie ahead they might know something of thy blessing and something of thy presence, something of thy power as they would continue in service for thyself. Thank thee too, our God, for what we read in thy word about thy blessed Son. We thank thee that he is the theme of all the scriptures. We remember he could say to those around him one day, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And this morning, our God, we desire that just some of the features that marked him as the servant of God, we desire, our God, that some of these things might mark us as well. And that we might just know something of nearness to thee, and that in our service there might be fruit for thy pleasure and for thy glory. Separate us with thy blessing, we do ask, keeping us in thy fear and in thy love, for we ask it in the worthy and precious name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.